Wednesday, May 9th. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hilton. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Hello. Uh, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters back in the news. We've got a couple of emails from our discussion about uh, Activision Blizzard and the video game industry. We'll get to those shortly, but first we will start with Disney. Walt Disney Company's second quarter profits up 21% thanks to strong numbers from its theme parks and cable TV channels. Jason Moser, this is a stock you follow closely. What did you make of the quarter? The mouse is in the house, yeah. It, uh, it, was a, it was a solid quarter, and I think that when you have... When you have a company that can put out a a real piece like uh, John like John Carter, John Carter, yes, where it forces their segment to take an operating loss, yet they can still report a solid quarter. You know that you have a really strong company. And that's really what I like about Disney is their diverse uh, revenue streams. So they can really kind of tank it in maybe one segment, but you know the other the other four can can really make up for it. And that's what happened here. I mean, it was a strong networks performance and theme parks performance uh, offset some of the losses in the movie studio. Uh, ESPN is commanding higher affiliate revenues just based on the demand. Uh, and the Disney Channel now, you look, it's in 167 countries. I think that's pretty phenomenal. To go with that John Carter loss, this isn't, this isn't going to affect this quarter, uh, but but the following quarter they report, it's, uh, you know, the Avengers just had a record-setting sure, uh, weekend yeah. with 200 million-plus uh, debut, so that's going to be really encouraging. They're already talking about a, a second Avengers movie coming up. So yeah. By the way, why was why was that news? Why is that? It's like really that's news that we're going to have a sequel to our huge monster. You know, what would be news if Disney came out and said, "Yeah, sequel for John Carter." That would be news. That's news. That's a good point. Yeah. Sure. Well, if history is any guide, they're going to make it a trilogy, and then in a couple <laughs> years, they're going to redo the whole trilogy. Reboot it. Well, and then it's they're like, going to tell the three stories that are the backstory to bring that trilogy up to exactly a yeah. sixology. Well, you got to hand it to Disney. The Marvel acquisition, in hindsight, is now looking like an absolutely brilliant move. Yeah. Uh, such a good deal for them. And this is something Tim Byers, who was such a big Marvel fan on Fool.com, uh, pointed out. And he was saying at the time that Disney was getting a great deal. And it turned out they were. Uh, they have great distribution. They're able to put a lot of money behind their movies. And in this case, you know, the Avengers didn't become a huge hit just because of its great snappy dialogue. <laughs> uh, there were deep pockets behind it, and they marketed yep. the crap out of it. And, you know, they set it up well by teasing it out in previous films involving the characters. So this was a long time coming. And, you know, hats off to them. It, it was as great an execution on marketing as just on the other end of the spectrum from as bad as John Carter was. Yeah, it really was the the polar opposite. Um, Jason, back to the theme parks, because that's uh, a segment of Disney's business that in the past has given it some trouble. Um, what are they What are they doing right now? Or is it just a question of the economy is better now and, and, and people are taking advantage of the parks? And along those same lines, uh, any update on the park in China? Yeah, so I think that really the park's performance was more or less a byproduct of just tough economic times. They were really doing everything they could to bring people to the parks. They were cutting deals, uh, really lowering the cost, and, and you could see the margins crimping there as, as, a, as a result of that. And so with you know the slow recovery that we've had, I think people have, have uh, you know taken advantage of the opportunity to get back to these parks, and Disney is uh, not so reliant on cutting deals anymore, which is improving the profitability. Um, so improved profitability plus more traffic 
traffic is really kind of living the dream there. In regard to the Shanghai Park, I mean, it was re- uh, referenced in the call. The ground is prepped there and ready to go. It's still some time before it's going to be up and running, but they sounded very uh, very optimistic about it in the call. I was going to say, we're, we're, we're talking like four years out. but I, I but... would think, I mean, you know, it, who knows really what comes up at this point with these international markets and uh, regulations and different governments that you're dealing with, but I would assume that we could probably see something in the next three to four years. But for those who are looking for a little bit more of a short-term result, make sure you get out there this fall for the new Tim Burton Disney film, Frank and Weenie. Frank- <laughs> it's real, I promise. I might Frank not get that one. Frank and Weenie. <laughs> I miss it. You might wait for the DVD on that one? Yeah. Um, you know who just recently took advantage of the theme park experience, and that's our own Matt Greer, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. who, was, uh, who was out earlier this week because he was down in Disney World for the first time. Mac, how was it? Chris, it was amazing. I was a machine. Uh, <laughs> we got there before the park opened every day, just went to the Magic Kingdom. And I should say for our listeners, Mac and his wife have, have two boys who are four and six years old. Is that right? Yes, and I've been driving my wife crazy because it was a military operation. There's this great <laughs> book out called The Unofficial Guide to Disney. It was a precision operation. Nice. I'm a strong buyer of both Splash Mountain and Buzz Lightyear. Both are trading at a premium, yep. but I still think they've got room to run. I, I can I can back Mac up on those. Those are two. I've great done yep. Buzz Lightyear. Great ride. Two Not great really. rides. Great ride. I am a sell on It's a Small World. It basically <laughs> it felt like Chuck E. Cheese without the pizza. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm gonna agree. That's right. way overrated. Okay. Way overrated, and I'm a hold on Dumbo. I mean, you've got to hold Dumbo. If your kids haven't done it, you got to get there. You got to do it. But you know, once you once you ride Dumbo once, you've kind of it's it's not like something you'll return to, like the Buzz Lightyear ride. No, no. I mean, Dumbo. How far away from relevance relevance to that was your kids? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like break out the Jungle Book characters, and they're like, "Cool, hey, yeah. that's an elephant with big ears." Well, and, and the other thing that's amazing about Disney is uh, two two other things. Phineas and Ferb are taking over the merchandising world. And that's just going to be the gift that keeps giving. They're yep. also taking over my TV downstairs. Absolutely. And it's Disney also, I'd forgotten, but Disney owns the Muppets. Yes. And they haven't even tapped into that for the Magic Kingdom. So once they bust out Elmo and Miss Piggy and all the Muppets for the Magic Kingdom, I mean, come on. And imagine how crazy the parents are going when Starbucks get their stores up and running there. I mean, that deal they just cut with Disney to get those stores on the properties is just going to be phenomenal. Okay, like so Mac and I were talking about that earlier today. And I'm, I'm a Starbucks shareholder. I'm a Disney shareholder. I'm, I was happy to see that news. And yet, I have to believe that Disney is getting a pretty sweet deal. They're not just letting Starbucks in just to, like, isn't Starbucks going to forego some level of profit in those locations in Disney World? Don't they have to? Possibly, but you also have to remember that Orlando essentially is Disney World. I mean, when you get into Orlando, it's all Disney. And so, I mean, for Starbucks to be able to get into that uh, segment, maybe they do forego a little profitability on a deal side of things. But just think about the traffic. I mean, that's going to be so just on the a margin tremendous side, number of transactions. I mean, you're going to see, I think, just a tremendous number of transactions take place with that. That's going to more than make up for anything that they sacrifice in the way of a deal. Okay. Um, just to close out on Disney stock, uh, shares trading close to an all-time high. Uh, what do you think, Jason? I'm still a buyer. You know, I mean, it, was, uh, it was on the list of stocks that I was considering for my daughter's first first ever stock. And to me, it's just one of those it's one of those timeless stocks that's always going to perform. They have such a diverse uh, stream of revenues that if something fails or something else there to back it up, they pay a dividend. I think they've paid a dividend for something like 55 or 56 consecutive years. It's just going to continue to be a part of our lives when my kids grow up and they have kids. It's just going to be this cycle that keeps on going. And as Max said, they haven't even you know unlocked the value of the Muppets yet. 
And that's really why Mac went there for you, our listeners, our dozens of listeners. Mac didn't want to take his family to Disney World. He was just doing some on-the-ground research, Joe. Imagine, give, me, yeah. give me the Ralph the dog ride. <laughs> I want the Swedish chef. Uh, Robert Stiller is the founder of Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, and up until yesterday, he was also the chairman of the board of directors. He is in the news, however, because on Monday he was forced to sell 5 million shares of Green Mountain stock as the result of a margin call. That same day, Stiller also sold his entire stake in Krispy Kreme donuts for nearly $50 million. Joe Mager, he owned about 12% of Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, he was removed. Uh, once this news came to light, he was removed as chairman of the board. What do you make of this story? I understand that they have a policy and he violated it, but I think they could have given him a little more leeway on this. If there, there are reasons to fire this guy, but they're unrelated to the stock sale. <laughs> Um, you know, the guy clearly from the sounds of it got wiped out financially or just got absolutely crushed and was up against the wall. And when you have a margin call, you know, this isn't the kind of situation where you can mull on it and take a few days, call your banker. You have to basically liquidate what you have to pay, you know, back your bank. And in this case, he just had to do that. And, you know, I would like to think if I was in a position like that, you could work with the company and be like, look, I'm in this financial position where I have no choice or no recourse. And I guess either he didn't do that or they weren't willing to to play ball with it. In the grand scheme of things, I don't think this is really that big of a reason to demote someone. Mm -hmm. Jason, what do you think? So I kind of feel like we've had a lot of uh, headlines lately on on everything that's been going on Chesapeake. It's just so Aubrey McClendon's obviously not setting a very uh, good standard. But I I do think that probably what happened here – you know, it's not like there's anything crooked. I mean, it's just really poor judgment, I think, on his part with, with such a heavy margin uh, position. But I do think that given the the stock's performance and the issues that Green Mountain Coffee Roasters is having currently, uh, the board wanted to get out in front of this as quickly as possible to try to absolve any sort of issues to, to more or less make it look as good as they could, make them look about as proactive as they could possibly look. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from this. I think it's a shame it happened. I don't think there's anything nefarious going on. I think it was really poor judgment. And I don't fault the board at all for doing this. I really think it was probably the right thing to do. Yeah, well, a good lesson on the dangers of leverage, if nothing else. I mean, this is a guy who had plenty of money, obviously, uh, both lots of salary and lots of savings. And when you lever up on a stock, sometimes it works against you. And when it happens, Messy things happen, and you have to sell. And this is the worst part of margin calls, is that the stuff that you're selling to make back the credit that you owe is undervalued at the time. And so you're selling things at the worst possible price. So let that be a lesson. Um, We talk about boards of directors, and and frequently when we're talking about boards, it's it's the Chesapeake Energies and the Hewlett-Packards of the world, uh, the the boards that really are not... um, uh, basically doing the job that they should be doing on behalf of shareholders. In this situation, does Green Mountain's board, do they get do they get a round of applause? Do they, if nothing else, get credit for moving quickly? Or is this just kind of a wash because of the circumstances? What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I give them a little bit of credit for being hard on him. But where were they when he... <laughs> You know, sold out of a big block of stock recently, right before the announcement that Starbucks was coming out with a rival uh, offering. And, you know, I don't know, and no one knows from the outside whether right. he was aware of that. So, yep. just to be clear, but there's a lot of smoke around that question. And incidents like that deserve more of an explanation to me than, you know, whether he might have violated a company policy because he was 
back up against the wall financially in a personal situation. Jason, over the next five years, two stocks that uh, certainly have um, a, a roller coaster chart to them in Krispy Kreme and Green Mountain. If you had to pick one over the next five years, what would you pick and why? Well, you're right. Those are two roller coasters. <laughs> and if I could choose a third option, it would be neither. Um, I, I would more than likely go with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. The relationships they have with other uh, coffee companies like Dunkin' and Starbucks, I think, is encouraging. Plus, coffee has not really the reputation of making people fat like donuts do. And what? So I think the, long, the long-term <laughs> picture is much more, much more bullish on coffee than donuts. I would go Green Mountain. Joe, you agree with that? Uh, barely. I, I would <laughs> see. He wants an option three too. Yeah, I would rather have just a bunch of the coffee and donuts together. <laughs> I was going to say. Let's go talk about it after. Exactly. After I think you're right. Uh, you can always drop us an email: radio at fool dot com. A couple of emails uh, in the wake of our conversation yesterday uh, about the video gaming industry. Uh, from one from Jeff Zapla. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He writes. Uh, due to the recent lawsuit regarding the Call of Duty name rights between Infinity Ward versus Activision Blizzard, do you think the outcome of this case will have any effect on Activision's overall growth as a publicly traded stock? Uh, Jason, it's uh, it, Activision Blizzard's a company you watch. What, what do you think? It is. So I'm hoping I'm referencing the, the question here correctly because what this all dates back to is Just a Just throw the word allegedly around this, a lot. This, exactly. It's allegedly, and I'm not a lawyer, but – uh, but this dates back to a lawsuit that started in 2010. The company, uh, Infinity Ward, a couple of co-founders uh, who, who made this company, Infinity Ward, they were responsible for producing content for Call of Duty, which is the the tremendous franchise that Activision Blizzard now runs that, that generates <laughs> more or less half of their revenues. Uh, but they were let go after uh, Activision Blizzard acquired Infinity Ward uh, due to what uh, Activision Blizzard claimed was insubordination. And from there, this lawsuit has been going on. They were seeking at one point at least $36 million in regard to royalty payments, bonuses, and whatnot. And just recently, a judge dismissed one of the fraud cases uh, that was brought up against Activision Blizzard. So that was a, victor- a victory for Activision Blizzard. But he let one stand to go on trial here, uh, coming up really soon here in May. Uh, so it's all based on promissory fraud, which is – and I want to whip out my legal de- uh, dictionary here for you, Chris. Okay. Promissory fraud is a promise made by the promisor when he or she had no intention to perform the promise when it was made. So allegedly, <laughs> they're saying that Activision Blizzard went back on a promise. Um, Activision Blizzard maintains that they were fired because they were in secret talks with rival Electronic Arts. Mm-hmm. Activision Blizzard has filed a $400 million countersuit against Electronic Arts. And so it's this just virtuous cycle of, of litigation that doesn't seem to want to end. But the bottom line here, Chris. Once again, the, the big winners, the lawyers. Is, is Exactly. <laughs> is this material really for Activision Blizzard? In the grand scheme of things, no. I don't think so. And here's why. You look at Activision Blizzard. It's the number one gaming company in the world. Balance sheet of $3.5 billion, no debt. This company brought in revenue of close to $5 billion last year, and it is a free cash flow machine minting cash left and right. And it's only getting better with the advent of their digital distribution. It makes them even more money with higher profit margins. So... Adding this into the fact that they continue to string this litigation along, uh, they just continue to make more money. And at the end of the day, even if there is something where a lawsuit rules against their favor and they have to cough up some nominal amount of money, it's going to be nominal in the grand scheme of things for Activision Blizzard. I don't think it affects them either way. I don't. You know, if, if the judge dismisses this other suit, I don't think Activision stocks pops. And, and if they lose the case, I don't think the stock drops. I think it's relatively immaterial. Yeah, I own a lot of stocks that are getting sued for a lot worse things. 
also, Joe, if you'll recall, when Charlie Travers was here in the room yesterday, we were talking about Activision Blizzard. Uh, Charlie was pretty fired up about Diablo Three, yeah, uh, the, the game that's that's going to be released soon, and and he's not the only one. Email from. Andrew Hernandez in Miami. I'm glad to know I'm not the only grown-up pumped about the release of Diablo 3. As a banker, I've been trying to figure out a way to arbitrage the market inefficiencies, which may surface in the real money auction house they plan on implementing in the game. If I'm going to be a 25-year-old nerd, I might as well try to profit from it. Amen. Love it. We need to kick one more adult in there who's really fired up. Our own David Gardner. I mean, he has been waiting for this. He even, what, his birthday, I think, is the day after the release. He is already he's call- moving he's his already, birthday to the He's same already day. called in sick. <laughs> All right, so productivity here at The Motley Fool. It's going to drop slightly when Diablo 3 comes out. Just All right. Sad. Jason Moser, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Forward. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.